This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Nowadays, sometimes you can look at the world and think, we've gone crazy. Things seem out of control. But remember, God is always in control. Are you looking for something fresh, new, and exciting? This is the Outreach.fm podcast. Taking the positive message of Jesus Christ to the world. Proclaiming he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Broadcasting from the Upper Room Studios to the world. Are you ready? Let's get into it. This is Outreach.fm. And now, here's Pastor William Luffman. If you have your Bibles, let's grab them. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We are in a series talking about looking unto Jesus. My job as a pastor is to get you to glimpse at me, but to look at him. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But but the, the, the only way you should continue to follow me is if I'm a constant reflection of who Christ is. If I'm a reflection of who I am, then there's not, then, then that's going to end pretty quickly. There's not a whole lot of depth to that. Uh, but but I, want, I want to, everything I say, I want to try to get it for you to look at Christ. When I tell you my stories, I don't want you to, to look at me as some kind of a hero or something because I'm telling you these stories because I'm really telling you because I want you to get to a higher level than even I've gotten with Christ. Now, I, I'm, I really now I feel impressed to, to say this to you. I want to tell one of my little stories right now before we start because it's important. In these days we're living in, you better make the word of God priority. And it, you, you're not going to be able to survive off of Sunday and Thursday night Bible studies. You're going to have to get into the word of God every single You're going to have to put this in every day. Now, you're on Facebook every day because I see you. You're on Instagram 35 times a day because I see everything you eat, every place you go, everything you think. So don't tell me you don't have time to spend a little time in God's word every day. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But, but you have to develop a hunger. You've got to make yourself, sometimes you have to make yourself hungry for the things of God. That's, I, that's why I'm desperate up here on Thursday nights, especially when I'm in here on Thursdays. I'm really preaching from a position of desperation, trying my best to get everyone to come on in, get a little closer, a little tighter, and and really, really get an appetite for the Word of God so that you are excited whenever it's time for the message. You're excited. You're not thinking about anything else. There's nowhere else on planet Earth you'd rather be. Are you listening to me? Martha, Martha, you are, you know, you're troubled by many things. Remember that? Mary sat there at the feet of Jesus. Amen? So I got to tell this little story. I've told it a few times, uh, but I got to tell this story. I, someone triggered the story out in the foyer a few days ago, a couple weeks ago. And I tell you all the time about how back in the, in the late 70s and early 80s, how desperate we were for the word of God. If you weren't alive then, or you weren't in church then, I, 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 want, I, I, pray, that it co- I pray that kind of season comes back around. Because those of us who had gotten on, turned on to the word of God were so desperate. We were so hungry. We were so, we were, we, we just, nothing else in the world almost mattered except God's word. And 
at that time, there was no internet, there was no technology, there was nothing, there were no computers at home, there were no cell phones. I know some of you are thinking, oh my God. But in some ways, it was a pretty pure and honest time, I gotta tell you. And all we had were recordings on cassette tape of sermons. You've heard me tell the story. And most of us couldn't afford, the people I ran with couldn't afford to buy those cassettes and neither could I. I had those few that you've heard me talk about. But I had a friend who wound up being our best man at our wedding since our anniversary was 38 years ago. Or actually, he walked you down the aisle because Ginger's father, of course, died, was murdered when she was 14. So this one of our best friends walked her down the aisle and gave her away uh, at the altar back 38 years ago. And he had two cassette tapes by Jerry Savelle. And I don't even remember what they were for, but he said, hey, I've got two tapes by Jerry Savelle. I said, man, can I get them? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm listening to them every day about 10 times a day. I said, oh, man. So he said, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to see if I can figure out a way to duplicate them. Well, even in 1981, they didn't, you couldn't even duplicate tapes. I mean, it was, the technology was so raw so he had a little $15 cassette player. I don't know if you remember them, but they were about this big and they had a little handle on them. He had a little cassette player. I had one. He figured out a way that if you put an earphone plug in this one and ran it to the earphone input over here in that one and put a blank tape over here, you could probably record it. That was his theory. So he said, I've made you two copies of these Jerry Savelle tapes. I said, thank you so much. I drove all the way out to his house, which was a pretty good ways in those days. I picked them up. I was so excited. I got them home. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, for this fresh word I'm about to get. I cut it on, I pressed play, and I, I couldn't hear anything, and I, I thought something was wrong. I put it in three or four times. I couldn't hear anything. I checked my volume. Oh, my volume's down. I cut it all the way up, and that's when I heard it. I heard this. And the Lord said unto them, I was like, that's it? That's all there is? My volume was all the way up. It was all I could get. And apparently that his theory, it worked, but it did. I mean, it was that a whisper. God is my witness. God is my witness. I'm, I'm in this house and this is what I did for the next two hours. I laid my head on top of that cassette recorder so I could hear the words off of that tape. Are you hearing me? Now I say that to you because I want you to understand the kind of level that God wants you to get to is going to require for you to get more desperate. For you to quit making excuses for not listening to the word of God, not hearing the word of God, not reading the word of God, not, not signing on online or coming to church if you can, not, not spending time with God. I'm telling you in the day and hour we're living in, we're going to have to get to that level. The only reason I am given permission to be in front of you is those are the kinds of things that I did on a regular basis back there in the 70s and 80s. And by the way, I still listen to a lot of preaching. All the time I'm pumping myself full of the word of God. Are you hearing me? I say that because I want you to get desperate. When we talk about having podcasts, when we talk about all these free sermons, I, my mind is completely just, oh, I, 
I can't even, if I would have had access to that kind of stuff back in that day, I promise you, I would have probably slept on average about two hours a day. Because I would have had my ear and I would have had my, I would have been before God listening to that. I would have been devouring it every way I could. I mean, if, if I'd have had that. So I say that to you, that I've been hearing the voice of God say to me, I need my people to get hungry and get an appetite for what I have. He said, if you're hungry and you're thirsty, God said this, I will fill you. But he will not fill you if you're not hungry. He will not feed you more if you're not even eating and digesting and pondering what you have. And he's not going to give you more to drink when you're not even thirsty. And that's not a rebuke. It's actually a challenge. It's actually, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you. If you're struggling, and I'm, I'm way off the cuff now, I'm nowhere near any of this, but if you are struggling with a sin, and most of God's people are, I didn't say the world, I say God's people. If you're struggling with a sin, you have to come to some decisions, and I promise you, if you will invest more of yourself into this word, you're gonna find out some of that stuff is gonna lose its control over you. You have to come to the conclusion where you say this, that is no longer an option in my life. It's just no longer an option. Whatever it is, and if I get on any particular one, I'll alienate some of you real quickly. If I mention any of them, because some of you have already been convincing yourself that they're not even sins anymore. I'm just not sure what Bible you get some of this stuff out of. Oh, I got two verses. I know you got two verses, but I got about a hundred. And if you're, gonna, if you're ever going to come to a conclusion of a subject in the Bible, you better look at, the Bible says you keep comparing scripture to scripture to scripture. You don't find one and then go run with it because it seems like it gives you permission to let go of something that you're already convicted of, but you won't admit it. Well, now she, she said I was a father. I don't know. I mean, Right? Now, why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because I know that we all, including myself, can get to a higher level. Well, I kind of like where I'm at. Well, you're selfish. Because there's a lot more dependent on you than you. The more intense I am, the more locked in I am, the more, the more I'm focused, the more I, my eyes are looking unto Jesus, the more I'm, I'm, I know what he's saying to me, the better I'm going to be able to pray the right prayer, say the right thing, see strongholds get broken in my family, in my coworkers, in my neighbors next door. I mean, I, I, can, literally, I can literally become a world changer if I'm willing to pay the price. And no one wants to hear those words spoken in church anymore. Most of the great men and women of God, we all know this, they had to pay a price. It wasn't just automatic and it wasn't just given to them. They had to pay the price. Can you say amen? Now, before I even read a scripture, since I seem to be in a different mode, I'm going to read a quote from Charles Hayden Spurgeon. I don't know if you know who Spurgeon is. You ought to look him up. He was a great man of God and he paid the price. He said, still I again remind you that faith is only the channel or aqueduct and not the fountainhead. 
And we must not look so much to it as to exalt it above the divine source of all blessing, which lies in the grace of God. Never make a Christ out of your faith, nor think of it as if it were the independent source of your salvation. Our life is found in looking unto Jesus. Now, I might have read that to you before, but I want you to see how this sage man of God said that our, as much as we lo- I love, I love everything about church. I really do. I love the singing. I love the coming together in the house of God. I love it when we're finally past all this craziness and we get to hug and, and you know, we greet one another and, and we get to have our children's programs and we get to go out and do the outreaches in the, in the community, which we've been doing anyway through the pandemic. And I love all the aspects of it. I think it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I think church is truly amazing. But church cannot take the, it cannot substitute for the relationship that you need to have with Jesus Christ. You cannot be so caught up in your church that you're actually not walking with God or walking with Jesus. Can you shout amen? Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, the Good News Translation says, As for us, we have this large crowd of witnesses around us. Now, we know we've covered this. They were all those people in Hebrews chapter 11. So then let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way. Now, that's what I was just talking about. Father, bless your word in Jesus' name. We receive it. Amen. He says, let us rid ourselves of everything that gets in the way. What is it that's getting in the way of you growing in your faith? What is it that's getting in your way? I don't know. I don't live with you. I, I'm not at your house. I don't work where you work. I don't, I, I don't know. For, and, and the likelihood for many of us is a different thing. But he said, let us get rid of everything that gets in the way gets in the way and of the sin. So it could be something that's not sinful, but it's getting in the way. Is it getting in the way? Amen. And we've talked about that many times over the years, which holds on to us tightly and let us run with determination. I love that word. I just love people that are determined. I love people that when you make it tougher, they go, oh yeah, well, I tell you one thing, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm not talking about a rebellious spirit. I'm talking about determination. I'm one of those people, you know, if you make it harder on me, then we bless God. Well, guess what? I'm going to go harder then. I told the people this morning, if you pick me on your team, I might not be the most talented person in that bunch, but nobody on that team will outwork me. And that needs to, but that's not a personality issue. That needs to be everything. I mean, Christ gave everything for us. We're looking unto Jesus. He gave it all. Can you say Amen. Now, I told the first group, if I have to amen myself, I will. I can do it. I do it often. Amen. But you're going to miss lunch if I do. Or you're going to walk out in front of everybody and I'm going to point you out when you walk out the door. Amen. Amen. So let us get rid of everything that gets in the way, the sin that holds on to us tightly. Let us run with determination, the race that lies before us. So we've talked about in this series that we are in a race. We are on, every person on planet earth has a course of life that we are all running. And what the Bible's trying to do is to show you how to win at it. Verse two says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. The King James Version says, looking unto Jesus. The, the Amplified Bible says, looking away from everything that distracts us and looking unto Jesus. Amen. When Pastor Ginger caught my eye back there in 81 and she caught my eye. 
something really incredible happened. There were still another, since it's 40 years ago, there were still another two and a half, let's say two and a half billion women on planet earth at that time. They were all still here. But something happened when she caught my eye. I was conscious that they were all still here, but I didn't look at them. It was almost like, man, I mean, when I wasn't with her, I envisioned being with her. Now, some of you guys didn't get there. Man, you need to, we need to get you fixed. Amen. My eyes got fixed on her. And it wasn't that there wasn't anything else. Of course there was, but, but now my eyes are fixed. I'm, I'm no longer looking around. I'm no longer distracted by it. I, I, am, I have settled on, on, the, on the one image or the one person that really I know is, is, is something different here, something special here. Are you hearing me? We don't need to be looking for any more gods. The day you said you became a Christian, you don't, you don't look for another God. Well, but my friends, they got this kind of God and that. And, and, you know, they just, you know, like they say, I mean, we're all, I mean, they call him something different, but it's all just one God. So I mean, no, no, no. Untrue, untrue, untrue. At least for you, it should be untrue. I'm not looking for another God. I'm not shopping for another God. I don't need, I'm not a part of the God of the month club because they have a new one every month anyway. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends. Now, wait a minute. So if I'm going to be successful walking this thing out and I'm going to make it, I'm going to have to keep my eyes fixed on him. My whole faith is dependent on, it's not, my faith is dependent on how much I continue to look to him. My marriage is, is contingent on how much I look at her. If I start looking around, guess what? My marriage will get in trouble like that. How many datelines? How many of you watch Dateline? It's okay to admit it in the house. Got 20, 20. Quit lying. Most of you are. I only sell three hands. But you watch any of that stuff, and almost every time when somebody gets killed, who's the first person they go after? It's almost always the spouse. It's not always the spouse, but 75% it's the spouse. And here's what you learn. It's almost always somebody else entered into the picture. They got their eyes off of their spouse. Don't shout me down now. And you know, when you preach, you never know what you're really doing or who it's really, you know what you're saying, but you never know who it's lighting on. It's the mystery of preaching. Someone can sit there and agree with you the whole time and be guilty as sin. Just know that the Lord knows everything. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus on whom our faith depends. Wow. From beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. As Pastor Ginger said, he, on the contrary, it was because of the joy. And I like what she said. It wasn't the joy that he was going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was that before he ever came to the planet. He was already, you know, one of the three persons of the Godhead. He was already the co-creator of everything. He didn't need that. The joy was, as she said, all of the people whose lives would be saved because he ran his race effectively. 
Now, I say it again to you, and you need to hear it, especially you men, especially you men. There's a lot more riding on the way you run your race and how well you run it than just you. Because you have a family, most of you men. Most of you have a wife, a spouse, children. Some of you like us, grandchildren, and even like us, great-grandchildren. So if I don't run my race well, and I mean really run it well, not just say, yeah, he was a Christian man, but they saw me out running around drinking and chasing skirts the rest of the week. What, I mean, I'm not running my course well. It's going to affect everybody that's connected to me. Now don't shout me down now. Just remember, the Lord knows where that's really going. But remember, it goes on to say that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I mentioned this this morning. The Bible says Jesus right now, if you want to know where he's at, the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father right now as we're in this room, as you're watching online, and he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. So in some way, he is praying for us. What is he praying? That we will finish our race, that we will keep on going, that we will not be a spiritual dropout, that we won't be a Sunday go to meeting Christian and Monday through Saturday live like hell. He's praying that we're going to do this thing right because as I said, there's a lot more connected to, to us than just, just ourselves. But the Bible says he's also waiting until and expecting, actually. Uses a phrase like this. He's expecting his enemies to become his footstool. That expectancy is not on him anymore. It's on us. That we do what we're supposed to do. We build the kingdom of God. We run our race well. Even if we die in this flesh body and we leave this planet, man, we have gotten so many people changed and turned and our families turned around, generational curses broken, that we're changing the world. If we would have read the latter part of Hebrews 11, it even says the people that finished the race before us who had none of our advantages... None of our advantages. It says they're even waiting on us and depending on us to finish the part of the race that they couldn't finish. That's what it says in verses 38 and 39. Are you hearing me? But the Bible says he's expecting for his enemies to become his footstool. Everyone say footstool. Now they use this strange phraseology in the Bible. In the Bible days, it was a, everybody knew exactly what you meant when you said your enemies be your footstool. They knew what it meant. It was not just a phrase. What happened was if you were a king and you sent out your army and you conquered another kingdom, what happened was kings literally had a wooden footstool that they had that was made for them. And every time they would win a battle, the face and or the name of the king and kingdom that they conquered would get carved in that footstool and the, and the king would do that. He put his foot on it to signify I've conquered him. They're now under my feet. Well, I've got news for you. We look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, and we can get the enemies of our lives under the footstool of our, of our feet. I said this morning, I think, I think every Christian ought to get them a little wooden footstool and make it up, and I, if you had a problem with drugs, you put drugs in there, and every day just put your foot on there. If you had a problem with alcohol, put your foot on there. Put alcohol on it and put your foot on it. Jesus ran by far, by far the most harsh course ever run by a human being. And he did it as a human being. 
He didn't do it as the son of God. He did it as a human being. He ran his race. He finished his race. And folks, we have no, no excuses if we don't finish ours. We have him as the model. We have all the tools, all the weapons, all the armor, the word of God, the spirit of God. We've got everything we need to accomplish this mission. I read about, uh, let me see if I can get this right. Some of you have, all, well, a lot of you have the military background. Uh, let me see here. I got a little, I think I put, Private Raymond Cote was in Germany with the 12th Infantry after World War II. During maneuvers, he was put on sentry duty to guard some pontoons on the banks of the Rhine. Because of an oversight, he was not relieved for six days. He knew the general order that states to quit my post only when properly relieved. So he stayed on duty night and day, even when it rained, for six days and six nights. Some sympathetic farmers did give him some food and milk, so he survived with food. When he finally was relieved and got back to the outfit and they realized what had happened, the commanding officer to sort of cover himself said, mm, I want to commend your strong sense of duty. But some of the buddies wisecracked that coat had a hole in the head. Now here's what I got out of that. I think that we as Christians need to get to the point where we quit our post only when we are properly relieved. Folks, we are on duty right now. We're on duty until we're done on this planet. We have a job to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We cannot leave our post. We cannot desert our post. We should not be those kind of people that look back, but only those that look ahead. Luke 9, 62 says, Any man having put forth his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, you, we, we got we to dig in. Now, I know this. I know. I know in the days we're living, there's so many, so many churches that will just fluff your pillow and throw chocolates at you and kisses the whole time you're there and tell you how sweet and wonderful and awesome you are. And God's just fluffed everything. And grace, 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 grace. Let's drink a little, cheat a little, run a little. It's all, it's all great. I know there's a lot of churches and you can go to them, but this is not one of them. This is one that's going to remind you that we are in a race and we, have, we, sh we, are, we are literally, we are sentries and we're on duty and we are not to quit our post until we are properly relieved and we're not properly relieved yet. Those people that went before us in, in Hebrews 11 gave everything. Now, if you read some of it there in verse 33, 34, and 35, some of them were cut in half with saws. Some of them were boiled in oil. Some of them were, were decapitated because they kept running their race until the last minute. And how dare us to think that we can kick back and just cruise into heaven and not finish the race that they started for us. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Say amen. Can you shout amen? Sometimes it gets tough. Sometimes things get hard. I know that. I mean, my Lord, we've lived, we've lived a little bit now. We've, we've endured some stuff. But you know, I've noticed something about if you are looking unto Jesus, even when times get tough, if you stay in there during the tough times, eventually great fruit comes out of that time. 
You know, if you've, I, I remember we, we were driving, we, we'd gone to, back in 2004, we went out to Dr. Godot's church for a convention and we were with he and, and Miss Brenda for a while and then we went over to Hawaii for a few days. Some of you were in our church in those days. That's when the Iraqi war started and we decided to cut our trip short and we decided to come back to the States. We got back to Sacramento where we had flown over from there to Hawaii. We got back to Sacramento where Dr. Godot was. We spent another night and we realized, they said, we've canceled a lot of flights. We don't know what Saddam Hussein's going to do. And there was a lot of confusion and it was going to be another 36 hours before we could get the flight that we wanted. We could have gotten a couple others. They would have sent us in five different places. We're like, no, 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 we're going to wait for that one. And then we said, well, you know, well, let's just rent a car. It'll take a couple, three days, but let's rent a car and then we'll get home. So we did. And we drove across the Mojave Desert. Uh, we went down into Southern California and then drove across the Mojave, of course, and got over to Arizona. And, and that's where we spent our first night. But, but the thing about deserts are this way. There are certain plants and flowers in the desert that actually, if it just rains lightly, they have hard covers on them and the rain will fall off. The only way that they bloom, it has to come a heavy, heavy storm. And if the storm comes, especially if it has hail, it'll beat on the bulbs of some of these, these bushes and it'll beat them and it'll finally cause them to get crushed down. And sometimes they'll get swept down into where there's rocks. They'll get banged against the rocks and then they'll settle down in the soil. And then the next morning, you'll have the most beautiful thing you ever saw in your whole world, in the whole life. But it all came out of a time of distress. See, the devil will tell you when the times are tough and the storm's going that nothing's going to happen. This is what you get for serving God. This is what you get for going to church. This is what you get for paying your tithes. This is what you get. It's all a, it's all a But the devil's a liar. Don't leave your post. You're not properly relieved yet. You stay. You stay. You stay. And watch what God will do. I don't want to go to my grave and be a 70, no, 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 excuse me, 120-year-old man. I don't want to go in there and then, you know, and just, I, I don't want to just live out my days. Some people are just trying to figure out how to stay alive a little longer. I don't want to just take up space on the planet. I don't want to just breathe in some air and see if I can beat the record of the person behind me how long they live. What good is that? Man, when I get done, I want them to say, my God tell you one thing, man, he was, a, he was never a quitter. I heard a preacher say this morning, a young preacher, I thought he said something excellent. It's kind of like some things I've said to you, but I like the way he said it. He said, God can, you, God can work with failures, but he can't work with quitters. I thought that was outstanding because we all fail sometimes. We all do something dumb. We all do make some dumb thing. God can work with failures. He, as a matter of fact, every one of those people in Hebrews 11 that became heroes were first failures. God can work with failures, but he can't work with quitters. Anybody home in this Lutheran church? Stay with me. But we can't get caught in looking back. We can't get caught in, in, in wondering what was back there. Now, I said this morning, I'm going to start, uh, I'm not quite at the closing point, but we're getting closer. Um, we can't let the world's disbelief affect our belief. I'm eating, I'm eating some Cheerios with meat in them in the morning, say, man. There was a man, John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees. This was a very intelligent man, very intelligent. 
He knew the law. He knew the scriptures. He even knew the, the day that he lived in. His, he was named Nicodemus, a ruler. He was a ruler, not just a man, but a ruler of the, of the Jews. There came to, then he, the same came to Jesus by night. We can all debate what that means. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Okay, now hold on a minute. So again, beware of people that say, well, I believe Jesus lived and he was a teacher. Well, so what? I, I, all right. The, even this man believed it. And uh, I do believe you come from God because there's some miracles here and, and you couldn't have done it without God. And I want you to notice what Jesus' response to him was. He said, barely, barely. Now remember when Jesus said, barely, barely, he's amen in himself. And when he amen himself, it was the truth. It was not an opinion. He was saying, this is true. This is true. What I'm about to say, this is true. This is true. I say unto you, except a man be born again. So I want to pause there for a second. I want to reemphasize as I did this morning that for you or for any human being on planet earth to ever make it into heaven, it is clear it is not a cloudy issue. It is not a debatable issue at all for any human being born on planet earth to make it to heaven and be with God. You must, must, must be born again. Your philosophy won't get you there. Your intellectualism won't get you there. Some other religion that tells you if you have this and you rub that and you say this and you chant that and you hold this, none of that will get you there. Well, but what if this is wrong? <laughs> well, what are we going to do with you then? Because you're not going to be able to be convinced of anything. All God did was send his son. So you have to be born again. But the second part of this is the part that I wanted to get to you. It says also, if a man's not born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. That doesn't just mean at the end of your life. It means you won't even know it exists. The kingdom of God exists right now, by the way. Right now, we are in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of heaven is still going to come down, the new city, the new Jerusalem, but the kingdom of God, Jesus even said it's within you. But if you're not born again, you won't even know it. It's right there in front of you and you won't know it. The reason all these intellectualists and these entertainers and all these other people that are trying to get your mind and tell you what to think about everything and tell you what to believe, but the reason that they don't, it's because they can't see it. And beware just because they quote a scripture. I saw a very well-known athlete the other day posted something and they got reposted on my thing and I was like, good Lord. And they, used, they dropped two or three F-bombs and something else and then they said something about the Lord in the latter part of that verse. And I thought, I don't know which God that you got hold of, but you didn't get hold of mine. The first thing that happened to me when I got born again, my mouth got washed out. A lot of them have bad teachers. They have bad, they have bad instructors. I'm, I'm not putting it all on them. Most of the problems on planet Earth are because of bad teaching. It's most of the reason right there. How did we even get into all of this, man? 
Don't shout me down. Amen. But he said, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, is that plain? He said, I'm God and there's none else. So if you go looking for another God, they may, they may tell you it's wonderful. And, and I, but I'm telling you, there's none other. He says, I am God and there's none else. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall answer. Amen. Now, my desperation for you as a pastor, I continue to have it. I'll continue to have it as long as I live. is to try to get you to the point that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is ongoing. I know you come to church here. We have a relationship with you. You have a relationship with us. That's a proper thing to have a shepherd and the sheep and, 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 and brothers and sisters having one among ourselves. Those are all great relationships. But my, my, my real heart is to get you into an ongoing, continuous relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says, um, yeah, look, I got time for one more verse. Some of you thought I was done because I closed my Bible, but you all know better than that. Go over to John chapter 20. I'll close with this. Do you love the Lord? Shout amen. amen. How many of you glad you came to church? Uh, how many of you like to, get, if you do something, you want to be as good as you can at it? Amen. I have a heart's desire, man. I want to be as good as I can. And my job is to try, you know, iron sharpens iron. Jesus has been resurrected now. He's died on the cross, been raised from the dead. He's starting to appear into people when we're going to pick up the story here. And uh, verse 19, the, the same day at evening, he'd already appeared to uh, some people, you know, after the, after, at the tomb and some others. And then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, and that, by the way, that's why we have church on Sunday. The first day of the week is the day Jesus was raised from the dead. You've got people that'll tell you that you're blaspheming God by not having church on Saturday. Uh, excuse me, but Jesus came, died on the cross, was raised from the dead on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, not Monday, is Sunday. That is why we as believers, and if you read in 1 Corinthians 16, it says when the believers gathered, the first early church, they gathered on the first day of the week. Just trying to help you so you don't get confused by other people's doctrines. Okay? I want to help you a little bit here. Okay. So then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, remember, all except John, they were hiding out. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side, then were they the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Well, they had already seen him before, but they had to have a little evidence. I don't know about you. If somebody just appeared suddenly in my room that I'd saw, I, I had watched die, I saw them die three days before, <laughs> I, that, that'd be enough to really get me going right there. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my father has sent me, even so send I you. Okay, so now remember, that's even important. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive the Holy Ghost. Now, this was not the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but it was a measure of the Holy Ghost to overcome their fear because they were in fear. Whoever sins you remit, they're remitted unto them and whoever sins you retain, they're retained. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So we see Thomas here, he, he was not there. And uh, so the other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into this side, I'll not believe it. He said, now, wait a minute. They said, hey, we saw Jesus. He said, yeah, right. Well, let me tell you where I'm coming from here. I'm going to have to see whoever this is and I'm going to have to see the nail prints and I'm going to have to thrust my hand to the side. I mean, you, I, really, come on, guys. Who do you think I am? And after eight days again, his disciples were within. Now notice eight more days. What are they, what are they doing housed up again? Eight more days. And Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And he said again to them, peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, now he wasn't there when Thomas said this, but of course he knew Thomas said it. Reach hither your finger, behold my hands, and reach your hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless. Now this is the challenge for God's church in 2020. Be not faithless, but only believing. Now, let me ask you a question that's going to be so obvious. Don't think it's a trick question, so give the obvious answer. Are any of us able to go back to this day and be in this room when Jesus was there? The obvious answer is, of course not. We can't do it. They were there. They actually did get to see him, and Thomas even got to thrust his hands or his fingers into these holes, right? All right? And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Now, we, we need to get to that point where we say, my Lord and my God. It's, it's, it's exclusive. Amen? But then I want you to notice verse 29 because it's really talking about you and me. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. The true Greek here says more. The word more is here. More blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That is you and that is me. We weren't in that room. We can't go back to that room. We may never have a vision of Jesus Christ. Brother Hagen, some others have said they had a vision. Jesus appeared to them in a vision, sat on the bed and talked to them many times. That's wonderful. That's great. A few men and women on this planet have had that experience, but the likelihood of it is just about zero. But the Bible says we are even more blessed because we believe something and we don't even have to see it. But the good news is, because we have faith, we're able to see things without them even being visible. I'm going to say that again. Because we have faith, we are able to see things that aren't even visible. Of course, it's not going to make sense to your unsaved friends and your unsaved family when you tell them, I, I walk with Jesus. Well, where is he at? Have you ever seen him? You're an idiot. You're a nut. You're delirious. But see, we have faith and we're able to see things that aren't even visible. My job as your pastor is to get you to the point where you walk with Jesus every day. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. He will talk to you. Now, I've never had him come in a vision and appear to me. Don't need him to. Because first of all, I got his word. I got a whole book of his words right here, so I don't even need it. But he still talks with me. With the help of the Holy Spirit, he nudges me. When I'm getting ready to make a decision that's not a good one, I feel that nudge now. I, I, can't, I, I'll, I will never know and you will never know how many goofy, stupid decisions we didn't make when we did listen to God. 
I can't tell you how many times he nudges me when I'm about to do something, I'll go, wait a minute. I, I, I don't think I'll do that. But when you look unto Jesus, he's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one that'll help you get to the finish line. You're running a course. Say, I'm going to win. Say, I'm going to finish well. I'm going to run across the finish line. Say, nobody's going to drag me. I'm finishing on course. Amen. That's my goal. That's my hope. That's what I'm pressing for. Paul said, pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm pressing for. And as your pastor, I'm trying every week to do this, just to pull you up just a little more, just a little bit more. I want to get you to the point where you get hungry and thirsty, like I said earlier, and you get wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. Used to be an old song, wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in God. Amen? Like you heard me say many times, when you become a Jesus junkie, Everybody say Jesus junkie. All right, I'll sing the lyric because I got to now that I said it. It's an old song that this little quartet used to sing that would come to the first church we pastored in the squirrel house. Before this church, they had a little cute little song they would sing called Jesus junkie. And it said, Jesus junkie, I just can't get enough. Sweet holy Moses, I'm hooked on that stuff. I, get, I need a little bit more of Jesus each day. They call me Jesus Junkie, and I like it that way. You've been listening to the Outreach.fm podcast with your host, Pastor William Luffman. We hope you've gotten some inspiration from this show. We enjoyed bringing it to you. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, reach out online. Find our website at faithoutreach.org. The streaming platform is livestreamchurch.com. Get an inspirational shot at a doseofhope.com. You've been listening to Outreach.fm. And remember, no matter what the weather may seem like in your life, the sun's going to shine again.